Hi, this is Ryan Bloom from Urban Bonfire. On today's episode of the Fireside Chat, architect Anthony Laney of Laney LA. Now, how many architects do you know who use terms like rule breaking or creating healthy spaces or radically flexible spaces that have no names or definition? Up until my conversation with Anthony, I didn't really know any. Here is a guy who has dedicated his practice and career to maximizing experience even in small spaces. And it's a reason why his firm is growing in popularity in the beach cities of Southern Los Angeles and across North America. I hope you enjoy this incredible episode with Anthony. I've really been looking forward to this discussion with you. I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time on your website, on your amazing social media platforms. And, you know, you could probably teach me a lot about uh, Instagram and the engagement <laughs> you've created, but I'll, come, I'll get to that in a minute. One of the things that first dawned on me as I spent time on, on your site, and I, part of this, I think, is a little bit of the um, California, you know, South Bay sort of vibe. It's a little bit more relaxed. And I, I say this to you with a little bit of, uh, just so you know, one of my oldest and best friends in the world um, spent the last 15 years in Hermosa and Manhattan Beach, and I've been down and spent a lot of time there. He just recently moved to, uh, to PV, but I absolutely adore the Hermosa, Manhattan Beach sort of area. It's, it's if I was moving to greater LA, that would definitely be my, my spot of choice. Um, what I wanted to ask you about is, I think that there is, for a design firm that works on very, very uh, complicated, expensive, uh, uh, under microscope projects from both client design community, city, municipality, media, and others, there is a, there is a perceived need for seriousness and, and we don't screw around. And it takes a lot of, it takes a certain level of, of, of genius or, or, or creativity to weave in a light and playful and fun nature in the way you have on your website without looking like a bunch of surf bums who I'm actually would never hire to design my house. And I wanna compliment you on having fused those two elements together in a way that feels very natural and seamless. And I guess what I'd first like to ask, cause I think we share that kind of, we share that approach. Mm. Was that done, did it just morph? Is it, was it intentional? How did you develop that, the, the, the voice if you will, for, for what you do. Wow. Well, thanks for that compliment. I mean, I, uh, the honest answer is I think I've always had a, um, a distaste for any form of what I'll call a false dichotomy. So the idea that let's say creativity and discipline are on opposite ends of the spectrum, or in the case that I think you're mentioning that, um, that rigorous work and exclusivity are actually on the same spectrum. I actually don't think they are, right? So it would be my goal to, if I believe in what I'm doing, I wanna impact as many lives, neighborhoods, communities, households as I can. And so in a sense, that's old fashioned accessibility. But at the same time, um, I certainly hope that doesn't come with any form of dilution of ambition or design quality. Um, mm -hmm. I remember graduating from architecture school and being 
like very put off by the apparent kind of divorce between like, oh, okay, I've got my friends who are going to do like critical, rigorous, world-class, thoughtful architecture. And then the folks who like want a life. Um, and I'm like, what a bummer. Like we're whole people. Don't, don't you want it all? And so yeah. not that, not that we've come anywhere close to achieving it, but our ambition for launching a studio was certainly to focus as much on the studio as we do on the projects. I think obviously those, those, um, those feed one another in a healthy way. And um, I do think, I mean, I've worked for a lot of the um, black turtleneck kind of architecture offices. I have mm. a ton of respect for the fact that architecture firms come in all shapes and sizes mm -hmm. and that there are many great firms that kind of operate as the, like the lonely genius and, and are, are, are very inaccessible. That's just not my personal vibe. Um, I feel deeply inspired by the lives of my clients mm -hmm. and I want to get to know them. Uh, dare I say, I want to befriend them. And I might even be delusional enough to think that I can do that while still creating world-class architecture. So mm -hmm. that's at least what we're aiming at. Well, it certainly expresses that. And, and I'll, I'll take it one step further and, and I'll speak to some of the content you put out on your social media platforms. It is not uncommon. It's, it's actually, in most cases, when you look at the portfolio website or Instagram feeds of architecture, design, creative firms, in most cases, you are seeing finished projects, beautifully styled, the lighting is right, the, the, the throw blanket is on the sofa, the dog's on the, on, on the carpet near the fire. The fruit bowl. <laughs> and, right, and rightfully so. I mean, if you're trying to sell the, the vision for what something can be if you work with my firm, that's obviously a very important part. But I wanna make mention and make note that if I go through your feed and what you promote and what you put out, you take a very, very different approach. You show schematics and 3Ds and 2Ds and work in progress of a foundation being poured. Like I took specific note of saying that takes a level of A, confidence, and B, I think a level of transparency of wanting to show that it's not just the pretty picture, there is a journey here. And it's not just, I snap my fingers and I'm in my new perfectly done home with a bow on it. There's gonna be a journey. Mm -hmm. Again, yeah, I, I think it's amazing. I, I love it. And, and I do the same, like when we do our show, I love showing you know, things that are still in, countertops not on yet, uh, trade show with boxes and crap all over the place. I think it makes it real, mm. but that's quite rare these days. I, I, again, thank you for the compliment. I, I think part of it is out of necessity and part of it as, is out of intention. And I'll do my best to kind of shed light on both of those. Please. Part of it is we're, we're a young studio. We're what you would consider a challenger brand. I don't know if you would put yourself in that category or not, but we are attempting to enter a market. We're only six years old as a studio. And so I am competing against architecture firms that have decades of work and deep portfolios. And I just, I need to be real with your audience. I don't have that, right? So part of it is I have to show something. Um, projects take a long time to design and build and photograph. But the other part of it is certainly out of intention. I feel like good brands, or at least the brands that I like are like the humans that I like. They are, they're authentic, they're real. Um, there's going to be variety, there's going to be humor, there's going to be a degree of what's unexpected, um, there's going to be, right, an appropriate degree of intimacy, and so that's just what we try to create, and I think there are weeks where 
we do a good job at that. There are weeks where we don't hit the goals that we have for sharing content. Um, but I do think, again, when I think about like the people in my life who inspire me, it's the right balance of, I respect them. I can relate to them. Like they, they, there's this didactic quality to it. And it's all of those items that we've literally documented that says, this is what we want our voice to be. I want to speak to that. It's very interesting. Have you ever seen, there was a movie that came out many years ago called Boiler Room. Does that ring a bell? Oh, I ben wish Affleck it did. I'll add it to my list. A bunch of young stockbrokers in this like high intensity selling stock by phone. And there's a scene where Ben Affleck, who is the trainer of all these new young stockbrokers, is basically training them and mm -hmm. takes the sort of goes into this, this training pitch, which is all about act as if. Don't act as if you've been here for three weeks. Act as if you are the senior vice president of this firm. Act as if you have a Ferrari in the driveway, like playing that part. And I think there is a lot of historic, you know, fake it till you make it <laughs> psychology in business. And sure. I think it is, and, and I want to say this to you as a compliment, the fact that you just said, you know, in honesty to this audience, you are a fairly new firm. Well, right back at you, Urban Bonfire, I started it with my partner in 2013. It was yeah. a 400 square foot barbecue shop. Never thought about an outdoor kitchen, never thought that I was gonna be B2B, thought I was gonna be Williams-Sonoma for the outdoors, which was my okay. business plan. We shipped our first display kitchen on a B2B level in, the, in May of 2018. So wow. just like you, I am 30 months into this journey and I am yeah. so happy and proud to share the mistakes, the corrections, what we have done as part of it. Because you know what? I can't live in a fake it till you make it bullshit life. I just, it's not worth it to me. And I think today more than anything, especially in the future generation of millennial and the way they actually buy product and the way they interact with brands, that level of humility and, and integrity and authenticity is exactly what people want. So kudos yes, to you for sharing that and celebrating it because from one guy to another, I think you're right on the mark. Thank you, Ryan. I, it's so rewarding. I know you can relate to this when, um, when you share who you are and what you represent and you find clients or customers that want what you can provide, right? Like that's, that's just epic, right? I think, you know, as a, creative. I think a lot of us might suffer from the imposter syndrome that I think you've been kind of like mentioning, which is, which I think leads to the fake it till you make it mentality. Um, but when we find clients who enjoy a degree of risk, want to be adventurous, are not looking to just repeat what their neighbors have done or what the real estate magazines kind of um, expect you to do, when we find those kindred spirits, folks who wanna create timeless architecture with a radical embrace of nature, and they also want an experience, right? They want a one-year design experience that is thrilling in addition to a world-class house, um, knowing that it's not all, right? Dare I say, not all gonna turn out perfectly, but the sum of what they create is gonna be so personal. Um, you know, we've, we've finished, um, about six or seven substantial projects. We've got 30 more in the works that are gonna finish soon. And it is just so rewarding to see the clients who've taken that risk on us, to see it pay off is like, <laughs> it's, it's the best. Yeah. There is, 
it is rare because we work through obviously through dealer partners, but when I get a testimonial or an email or something or a social media post of someone using the kitchen and it has nothing to do with the cabinets or the color or the handles or the countertops, it has everything to do with, it becomes the, the connective glue that brings yeah. people together in an outdoor environment. That's the greatest validation for what I do. I don't need any yeah. more than that. It really, it feels very good. I love that. I want to talk to you about one of the great things um, that I talk about frequently when I'm doing, whether it's uh, speaking engagements or, or dealer trainings, things like that, which is a, and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to discuss it at, at a macro and then and tie it really into your local, your local uh, market. On a worldwide basis, there is a move towards urbanity. It's happening mm -hmm. across the globe where you know, exact numbers approximately in 1950, 25% of the world's population lived in cities and 75% rural. And by 2050, just a hundred years in the landscape of mankind, which is nothing, it's a blink, that number will have inverted itself. Where by 2050, statistically speaking, 75% of the world's population is going to live in cities, which is creating a lot more density and a much greater challenge for designers who have to work within much smaller footprints while still delivering the amount of beauty functionality and the experiences that their clients are seeking. Yeah. I would note having spent a lot of time in Manhattan Beach and Hermosa, it is a very, very dense yeah. residential typology. Yep. Things are clustered together, built up, and with, with all the amazing things about California, I also recognize very challenging as it relates to code, as it relates to environmental standard, uh, view corridors, a whole, a whole gamut of things. <laughs> yeah. With your practice and, your, and a lot of your focus from what I can see being in the Hermosa, that South Bay sort of area, tell me about your relationship with designing within density. Mm -hmm. Hard, greater challenge, more fun. How does that factor into your, your thought process? Yes, we call Manhattan Beach the city of inches, right? Your your neighbors are literally four to five feet away from you. And so um, like so many things in life, I think there are the wonderful benefits of density and there are the very expected liabilities of density. And I, in our design, we're, we're trying to um, often like erode the right amount of density in order to create relief and variety from that density. And so it's, it's really sad. It, uh, a lot of these homes look like extruded three or four story shoe boxes. And just cause there's a view, someone might slap a balcony on there but you never see people out there. And so our work often is about um, trying to build these more intimate outdoor rooms that actually become part of the home and the you know we can we can create beautiful renderings and the clients can fall in love with it but frankly our biggest headwind is the fact that in a way we're breaking the rules right when interior condition space sells for over two thousand dollars a square foot there's this like rule of thumb that you have to maximize the lot right that you're and and i just think i'm i'm actually encouraged to see in the last couple of years that 
gospel has changed, right? Folks are now aware that, yeah, even though your courtyard doesn't count toward your buildable floor area or um, kind of your condition space that you might list on Zillow, the way that it literally impacts every space in the home is epic. And so we embrace density. It's, it's got many good things that come with it, but I, I am very sensitive to not letting go of um, the magic of some relief from the density. So we like to create these rooms where like the rest of the world goes away. It's these inward facing views where mm -hmm. I thought you were going with the question and it just, you know, the just kind of dreaming about the name urban bonfire makes me think about like, right, the, the move toward urban centers, but then also mm -hmm. the recovery of that um, kind of more timeless community, that ingredient that if we can bring that spark that is like, deep in our ancestors' bones back into our cities, you know, maybe folks would just feel happier and their lives would be better. Well, I'll share to that point, I'll share with you the original tagline of Urban Bonfire, which we don't use anymore, but okay. I think it kind of hits what you're saying. Our original tagline was country sweet, city smart. Yeah. That was really in its essence. We wanted to take the connective power of outdoors, which in the country and came from my country house, which is on a fairly large piece of land and yeah. say, this should not be reserved for only, this can be done on a 10 by 10 balcony or a rooftop or an outdoor deck. And I wanna go back because you've already brought up and you've said in your last point, three things that I like to talk about and you did it ahead, which is awesome. One, you called it an outdoor room, which is still very much in its infancy. It's a deck, it's a balcony, it's a space. You couldn't you call it like I do it is a room and breaking the rules on outdoor space activation in terms of the the prioritization of outdoor space I think has really changed over the last five or ten years I think COVID was a further um, threw some extra fuel on that fire but I think historically, a lot of architects and at that point called interior designers, and we see more and more people dropping the word interior and calling mm -hmm. themselves designers, mm -hmm. saw the outdoor space as the afterthought yeah. or the, it was the, uh, it, it was a very secondary or tertiary priority project. Mm -hmm. And that I think is one of the great misses and has done historically a lot of disservice to the consumer because that actually created tremendous fragmentation when looking at the holistic view of a home in and out and one architect design firm is doing the indoors, doesn't touch the outdoors. And it's like, talk to the landscaper about that. I don't do that. You're then creating the historic divide, which it is my company's mission to mm. remedy at, at a basic level. That's what I try to do every day is to get people to think about their outdoor entertaining cooking living experience at the same level as indoor and if we do that then you're really answering the wants and needs of, of the consumer i believe yeah i mean i'm just i'm just applauding over here i feel the same way i don't even know how to add to that because you know when when someone buys a property there it's the whole thing matters right just yes. just like people right like it's really hard to be healthy if if only one part of your life is healthy. Yes. And so, um, yeah, these 
one of the greatest compliments I was ever given was for our uh, very early projects. Um, it was for the first athlete client. Um, we walked through the completed home. He pointed to this outdoor room and he said, and he kind of knew it was tongue in cheek. He's like, let me tell you, let me show you my favorite room in the house, right? The, the, the joke being it wasn't actually in the house. And um, many of our homes have what we'll just tag the great outdoor room, right? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, backyards typically have, you know, one wall that's like a rear elevation, three other walls belonging to other neighbors. And it doesn't have that soul. It doesn't have that destination. And I think in the spaces that you're contributing to and hopefully the ones that we're creating, it actually feels like it has an identity. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, uh, I don't think folks should be surprised that a client might call that their favorite room because it, mm -hmm. it really has all the exciting ingredients. I completely agree. And what's interesting, you made mention of, you know, $2,000 a square foot to build. And I am consistently making the, the case to, the, to, to, to anyone who will hear me that outdoor space activation per square foot, if you look at cost structure of doing so, is usually a, a, a minute fraction of what it costs to build or to activate indoor. So you're getting a lot of ROI for that spend because it is, to your point, it's free space to use. Yep. It comes with the house. Yeah, especially, obviously, if they open up to one another. I'm very proud of one of our clients who they're surrounded by, and I'll continue to service the five, six, 10, 12,000 square foot homes, but they built a 1,400 square foot home uh, because they have uh, five different, four different courtyards and it just, it lives so much bigger, right? You tell someone that it's that size, they won't even believe you uh, because the ceilings are tall and the natural light changes throughout the day and the doors open up. And then of course they have their outdoor kitchen. And so, um, yeah, and, and I was just speaking with a, um, a commercial developer um, right, at, right before this call and we were strategizing on ways that you can, um, we're designing a new office where you can go from, your car to your suite on the second level without ever going indoors, without ever going in a shared lobby or a indoor corridor, right? You're walking through an outdoor staircase past a garden across what you would call a balcony into a private suite. And just like the, the quality of life of that, as well as the 2020 recognition of greater ventilation, I just mm -hmm. think is a win-win. Sure. You're obviously a strong proponent just listening to you and, and looking at your projects of that, the idea that the, the line between indoor and outdoor is, is, is blurred at, at, at best. Have you seen, having done this for, you know, as a profession for, for a number of years, have you seen a shift or a change in the consumer or your clients' requests related to outdoor? Are they actually talking about it more? versus you having to potentially bring it to them. I'm wondering at the consumer level, and, and I think there are a lot of factors on this. Obviously there's trend, there is, there is, there's inspirational project photography, whether it's house yeah. or Pinterest or other. But I also think that there's been a major shift in technology of materials and furniture that allows for much greater style and quality and longevity outdoors, whether it's heat, uh, fabrics, uh, shade, uh, cooling, it, it, 
there were not like flat screen TVs that emerged in outdoors five or eight years ago. These are fairly new things. What do you think are the contributing factors to this, this, this real, I don't even like the word trend, but this, this embracing of outdoor rooms in, in the way you describe it? Yes, uh, consumers are certainly requesting it more and more, which um, which I'm very happy about. And I think, in addition to the items that you've mentioned, I think um, I think there I think we've finally overcome the fact that someone might have an old, dreary, drippy backyard, and they can understand that it's underutilized because of its design, not because outdoor space doesn't have value. And so a lot of our outdoor rooms are far more interior feeling than just a deck, a patio or a balcony, right? They often have roofs. Um, we've been installing these motorized trellises, which can literally be rainproof, right? Or it can be totally open. You just press a button and it, it opens up. And um, you mentioned outdoor TVs. Outdoor fireplaces, radiant heated floors, outdoor speakers. Of course, you add landscape, Wi-Fi, some great furniture, and it's it's a spot that you just want to be. It's a spot you can't live without. So, yes, consumers are asking more and more for it. Um, I also think that, I mean, you've mentioned it, and yes, it sounds a little bit cliche, but like with folks spending so much time at home, just yeah. the ability to go into the space and exercise. I um, we have a, a project where we created this modest eight by eight courtyard. And every day there's a yoga mat that is rolled out and rolled up in that little, it's just the most quiet, serene space. It has a purpose. And um, it could have been indoor, um, but it's not. And I just, I love the rituals that that creates. You know, Anthony, I, I, I started this podcast series about two months ago. And each week I'm speaking with one or two just absolute leaders, whether it's architecture, design, chef, uh, developers, uh, retailers. This is, not a, this is not a singular sort of thing. And what I realized about a month ago, and it sort of hit me, your standard home, the indoor part, it has certain basics that most, and I'm sure there's some really weird folks who do things in a sort of very different way, but most have a kitchen and a dining room and X number of bedrooms and a den and a living room and those types of things. And those are almost standards that almost every home needs in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And what dawned on me a little while ago is that the outdoor space is really or can be the executive summary of people's lives. <laughs> In other words, some people are huge football or basketball or fans of whatever who would want a TV and want to create that, that almost that experience of what it's like to watch the big game indoors and have it outdoors. Some people love to cook, some people don't. Huge kitchens with islands, really small ones. Some people like myself, I was redoing. One of the most amazing experiences for me being in Montreal is every year I go to Costa Rica with my wife. It's where I got married. And the little hotel we stay at on the side of the beach in Nosara has an outdoor shower in every unit. And I'm like, if I could have that, that would be like the outdoor space is the most perfect example of the executive summary because the user can draw on the unique experiences 
and weave them together in a way that is non-conventional and non-linear. That's, that's so fascinating. I, that's a new thought for me. But um, what goes to my mind is if you and I were to describe our living room, our kitchen, our dining room, I don't know how much I'd learn about you. But if I told you that my backyard has a 20-foot play fort and a 16-foot trampoline, that would tell you a lot about my family of six, right? That, that would cue you into yes. you know, what, what, what phase of life my family is at, uh, much yes. more than peeking into my kitchen. <laughs> and I would share with you, I completely agree. I could tell you nothing. Of, not, you would know nothing about me if I described my kitchen, living room, dining room. But if I said to you, if you walk outside my kitchen patio, I have my a grill that I saved up for years to get because if I am not working or with my kids, I'm cooking and it's my greatest yeah. passion. And I would show you that I have ceramics, sort of concrete tiles that are covered in chalk art. That would probably tell you that I have a, you know, a four-year-old daughter who loves to sketch on the floor. And so I completely agree. And I think that's beautifully said because you're absolutely right. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. I'm going to I'm gonna use that on my clients to help, uh, I'm gonna say extract nuggets of their lifestyle. <laughs> I wanna talk about this because you just mentioned it's a great segue into lifestyle. Again, in my research and, and learning about you and your firm before today, um, I noted it is quite rare that a, an architecture firm or design firm would actually use the term healthy as it relates to space. Mm. Beautiful, functional, exciting, award-winning, yeah. name the adjectives, no problem. Very rare that you hear someone say healthy spaces. And I think so appropriate mm. for where we are in the world outside of COVID mm -hmm. and how the whole idea of, you know, healthy, balanced lifestyle or though is, is, is a bit of a, of a term. Tell me what healthy space means to you and what it should mean to your clients. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me personally, the, the easiest spot to note it is in its relationship to nature. Um, mm -hmm. I enjoy learning about the way that certain scientific studies have just shed light on the way that having indoor plants and having exposure to nature has just such a positive effect on the human being. And so um, I don't know if this is the most inspiring answer, but like light ventilation connection to nature and the appropriate amount of what I'm gonna call quietness. Um, I, I, not everyone loves minimalism, like I might be disposed to it, but when there's a certain beauty in restraint, I think all of that removes what I'll call visual noise. And so uh, to me, that contributes to a space where you can have just a higher sense of peace and relaxation. And so, um, yeah, a lot of our, our projects radically bring in very mature landscape uh, into the house. Um, and there's a lot of coordination that goes into acclimating the home and, and the, the trees for that. But overall, I think it makes a big impact. And um, I'm very proud of a lot of our clients for adopting 
passive cooling systems and geothermal cooling systems where they just they just have the peace knowing that not only is there not a condenser rattling so that noise pollution kind of is removed but also they have like the most efficient form of bringing fresh air into their house um so i think it's called the bio biophilia hypothesis it's the study of the way that our connections as humans to nature has a very positive impact all around and um kind of i would say it's it's that that drives me to i think try to responsibly use the word healthy spaces then on the same subject or at the same level of context how after you do so many projects and each one is different and each one requires thought and creativity and refinement and uh, I, I was talking to someone yesterday who you know sort of said you know i'm as much of a family psychologist as i am a designer <laughs> yeah. and part of my role is to be the conduit and also in some ways be the be the dictionary or the or the thesaurus to the average person who may not have the vocabulary to actually express what they're seeing in their minds. Yeah. They have to extract. And I can acknowledge that when you do this for quite some time, the need to find your own inspiration is critically important to the idea of progress. Not only, you know, so a, we as, as creatives are not turning out, you know, factory sort of stuff, yeah. but each one is unique and different. Where do you, as, as, a, as a creative and also as a business leader, where do you seek out or where do you find inspiration, whether looking for it proactively or mm -hmm. getting it in a almost subconscious way? What, in, what, what creates your inspiration? I think you've hit on one of the timeless challenges that both artists and those in the service industry face. It's how do you scale art? Right, like, how do you how do you do projects at a certain volume without diluting the richness or the soul or the purpose, the uniqueness of of those projects? And so, you know, I I don't have a magic solution to that other than pour my heart and soul into my team first. Right, we're we're a group of fourteen architects and designers, and just just to put it out there, I, I am not the primary designer. We have a world-class studio director and some of the greatest design leads you've ever met. It's my job to unblock them. It's my job to just understand where they're facing friction and remove it. I'm going to get to your question about inspiration in just a moment, but I, I just, I feel like for me, I've had to recognize that like, I really enjoy the challenge when husband and wife have two very different opinions on inspiration, I really love trying to find that narrow lane at the Venn diagram. Where do they overlap, right? I would love to create something that my team, he and her just fall in love with. So uh, that's deep in me. In terms of inspiration, I um, like, and this is what I miss about 2020 is I love the desk crits with, with my team. I love just um, trying to just pour a little bit of gasoline on their sparks of inspiration. What's inspiring them, what I see on their, you know, on these early drafts of their projects. And I think the other thing is I, I just, I love, um, I just love to read. 
and I love to be inspired by non-visual design. Um, that's what my my thesis project in architecture school was. It was on how you can describe a building without drawings. And so, again, might sound cliche, but just like trying to hunt for stories and descriptions, lyrics and words that are inspiring, that usually is what prompts me to try to think fresh about an idea. Mm -hmm. You bring up so many points and it's amazing without knowing you, except for this time together, we have so many similarities where you, again, as, as the head of a firm, will say that you are not necessarily the lead designer. Um, you know, Urban Bonfire has, and, and I say this with humility, designed and we have won awards for, you know, award-winning kitchens. Ryan Bloom cannot draw a stick figure <laughs> and not, not even close. So I feel that I'm very much, I, I, I do a lot of, I think, what you do, which is become the, the aligner of vision between mm. client, uh, the business angle of what is necessary for the business to succeed, uh, staff. I, I think it is, an, we are in the alignment role and yeah. creating common vision, which is, I think, the thing that makes or, uh, or breaks companies, families, relationships, projects, lack of common vision is typically at the root of, you know, what goes wrong and yeah. cohesive vision is typically what makes things go really, really right. And I think that every company, whether it's a creative art driven design firm like yours or a hybrid design manufacturing company like ours, if it doesn't have common vision and, and unification, it's a very, very tough thing to do. And it's a lot more fun when there's alignment because I feel it, it just, it, it, it feels like all the instruments are in key and are in tune and they're, they're playing at the same sort of beat, if you will. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's a thrilling experience. It doesn't always happen, but when you sense that your diverse team is all rowing in the same direction, that, that is a thrilling, experience yes and much easier to overcome you know huge waves when you're all rowing together mm -hmm. versus when you're not you could easily capsize so i completely agree yeah. um last thing i want to ask you about because i, I want to be mindful of, of of your time um if if you are, uh, if you have a crystal ball in front of you and you are trying to predict your customers' kids who may be now, let's say, in their late, late teens or early 20s and what they will want 10 or 12 or 15 years from now, are there any things that you're seeing as the future is this or not even at a huge level, even on a small level? Are there things that you see as much needed and, and coming in, in, your, in your world? Um, I would say, I'm gonna call it radically flexible spaces, spaces without names. I think that hmm. we have graduated way past the idea that you know this 12 by 12 space is a dining room and that 12 by 12 space is a, um, is a bedroom. It makes me think about um, just how many creatives I know, young ones, are 
getting cabins, right? They just, yeah. they, um, there's this roof over their heads. It gives them a connection to nature. There's a connection to nostalgia that I think we've lost in design, especially in like slick technological design. Um, and so I do think that invisible technology can help add flexibility to spaces. And so I don't think it needs to just be Murphy beds. Mm -hmm. I think it can be about the way that, you know, families, <laughs> it used to be a faux pas to like eat on a living room coffee table. It's just how people live these days. And so when you recognize that, you might not have a dining room. And, and I know that sounds tragic to grandma and what do you do on Thanksgiving, but you can, reinvent the way that you lay out a home. And so I just think, I, I don't know, it's hard to answer crystal ball type I, questions, but they're fun. And I just think that like folks, you know, every generation I think tries to reach a little bit farther and might be an appropriate degree, less connected to traditions and more connected to others. So <laughs> I don't know if that made sense, but in a word, I'd say flexible spaces is my prediction. It does completely. And, and so glad you said it. I had a conversation with my wife, Sarah, a couple of months ago, we were sort of sitting and dreaming about if we were going to do something, what we would do. And, you know, our dining room gets used two, maybe three times a year. I said, why are we like holding on to this? Couldn't this be merged into more living room, kitchen together? And for the, you know, for the two or three occasions a year, we can rent a table or, or figure it out. Like, why are we literally giving a third of our ground floor space to something that is almost inanimate? And I love what you said, radically flexible spaces and getting away from the terminology that a kitchen means this and right. a dining room means that and do it more in the spirit of fluidity and flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, I, I look forward very much to following you over the next 10 or 15 <laughs> years to see how this all unfolds. Thanks, Ryan. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. I am That's rooting for you guys. Um, outside of this call, we should definitely connect. Um, we, will. Um, we will. So thanks again. The pleasure is mine. If I can just take a, a quick moment to wish you and your uh, your family in your community continued health and safety through the holidays. I wish you nothing but the best. And 100%, let's, uh, let's connect offline and we'll, uh, I look forward to it. Cool. Thanks, Ryan. Take care. Great spending time. Thanks so much. That was an amazing conversation with Anthony. I don't know about you, but I truly feel his care and passion for doing right by his clients in terms of health and wellness and what they look at and what they smell and what they see and what they breathe in his projects. He is obviously an incredibly caring, creative and talented individual. Can't wait to continue following his work and watching as Laney LA continues to grow across North America with their really unique perspective on space and experience for their clients. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Fireside Chat. Please follow us on Instagram at Urban Bonfire or LinkedIn or on YouTube. And of course, subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or whatever your podcast preference is. Until next time, this is Ryan Bloom. Thank you very much. We're always looking for new ideas, new guests, your questions, comments, what inspires you in outdoor design. 
we'd love to hear from you at Urban Bonfire. Thanks a lot.